0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: You know, somebody who is self-proclaimed pharmacist, number one fan. I get excited when I hear things literally changing. Been in the industry long enough to watch how as organizations, as buying groups, as wholesalers, we know that things had to change for pharmacy, for pharmacy's effectiveness in patient care. Payment reform needed to happen, technology needed to advance. We talked to SureScripts about APIs to pharmacy management systems and consulting programs and the merging of the ingestible pill capsule in specialty disease states. So there's so much going on. But right now, there's some big focus with some enormous organizations coming together for the first time in the history of pharmacy. The APHA joins the NCPA in a suit against the backdoor pharmacy fees in building some litigation um, against the PBMs, which is so exciting. We have a brand new president of the APHA that just started uh, her tenure and she's a powerhouse in pharmacy. She's a rock star, a conduit, and she has a theme called Be the Voice, which is uh, pretty fun for me to say because that's what we are. We are the conduit. We are the voice of pharmacy and uh, pharmacists, you're Mm -hmm. out there listening right now. I want to introduce you to the for the for the first time in twenty twenty one. Uh, Sandra Leal. Dr. Leal, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast.
0: Hey Todd, thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: We also have another pharmacist who is no stranger to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Set a record in 2020 for downloads for the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Over 6,000 listens to his episode. Dr. Scott Knorr, uh, CEO of the APHA. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast.
2: Todd, thanks so much. I, I couldn't be happier to be here with you. With a, certainly our number one fan, and we're gonna have to get you an honorary pharmacist T-shirt.
1: <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I'll wear it. I love the new logo, by the way. If you don't know, listeners, the APHA went through a a branding differential in their their colors, their logos. It's it's extremely professional, and I'm I'm proud of it. And I like what you guys have done, Scott.
2: Fantastic. It could be a uh, website's all brand new, too. Uh, it, was, uh, it needed some work. It was ready for an update. The team put a great deal of work into it, and it's much more user-friendly.
1: So I want to jump to Sandra. Um, you're kind of the star of today's episode. And what does it mean when you came out with a really cool slogan called Be the Voice for the start of your presidency now? And actually, we're in May, so it's what it's been three or four months already.
0: Yeah, it's going by very fast. But um, the theme that I selected, Be the Voice, was really a culmination of my career and trying to really advocate for the role that pharmacists play in the healthcare team. And specifically, I've worked uh, with the medically underserved population for such a long time. And so there's a lot of patients out there that need somebody to advocate for them. So the theme really aligned with that. And it was funny, I was just reading the APHA uh, mission. I've been presenting on our strategic goals. And, and literally the start of the mission is as the voice of pharmacy. So I, I didn't even put those two together, but but really I, the, the theme of Be The Voice is for pharmacists to stand up, uh, make sure they're heard, make sure that they're part of the team. And you know, I've been doing a lot of practices in my career where it's been considered a best practice because we've integrated pharmacists, we've resolved problems for patients, we've improved the system, we've improved outcomes but I don't want it to be a best practice. It has to be the standard of care because it is unfair that some patients do not get the access that they need so that they can have the best outcomes and, and pharmacists not being on that team does not give people the best outcomes.
1: Yes, the the pandemic has shown the power of the community pharmacies in in the great state of West Virginia, how well they did with vaccine rollout through their community pharmacies and now, of course, it's a domino effect of how many states are realizing probably the underutilization of their pharmacists throughout the state of, of that 300,000 active pharmacists in the country. Now pharmacy is getting a light that we, we really didn't have before. And unfortunately, it's during a, a pandemic, but it it shows the power of, of being ready to jump in with something happening so serious that we've lost a half million lives, um, you know, to to such a pandemic, and and now we're seeing the abilities. The public is seeing the abilities of their pharmacists and what that means for for uh, population health and patient care. And but there's there's intricacies, there's blockage, there's there's barriers for this to take place. And some of those barriers are in our laws and our policies and the way that pharmacists are paid. Um, Scott, I want to come back to the APHA joining with NCPA that in and of itself is super powerful. The leading organization for the National Community Pharmacists Association is, is now joining up with the largest pharmacist, um, focused organization, the Voice of Pharmacy, the American Pharmacists Association to put this together, give our listeners a, a summary of what's going on.
2: Yeah, Todd, thanks so much for that, and you know, uh, I really appreciate you bringing that up. It's super important. I, I did want to just start by saying that, you know, uh, I, I Sandra and I tend to be the the face of pharmacy, but uh, for APHA, but it's really a lot broader than that. You know, uh, our board is ridiculously committed. I have uh, I couldn't be happier to have the makeup of our board such thought leaders and the reason that we have both the provider status bill and the dir lawsuit are because our incredibly engaged board understands the issues impacting pharmacy and they are pushing hard Uh, i'm part of that board i'm pushing with them they don't have to push me too hard on that you know because i'm all in but i i can't say enough about that and todd i'd i'd say you know, starting, just uh, just had my one year anniversary. Um, and, you know, I look back and I don't know, it's it's almost destiny how huh, the stars have aligned to give uh, me and APHA the presidents we need during the times. Okay, we had Michael Hoge last year. You know, Mr. Vaccine, ASIP and, and, and all that. His, his residency project when he did it here was, uh, pharmacist immunizations and it was incredibly respected. So when the pandemic hit, you know, he was out there out front. And now we have Sandra who has really dedicated her professional career, uh, in her life in some ways to helping improve care for the underserved and our, uh, provider status bill is for the underserved and we've also got all of the uh the, the highlighting the the terrible problems we've got with racial disparities in health care so i'm looking around and said how did this happen how was i so lucky to get the right people at the right time you know but back to the dir lawsuit uh you know you know uh as you know certainly anyone in community pharmacy knows the, the major problems that we've got in in pharmacy reimbursement. You know, I, I kind of, uh, I don't know, simplify things. I'm kind of a simple guy, Todd. You know that. I'm not terribly complex, and, and I like to distill things. So when we had our strategic planning session that the board was at uh, last September, we got together and we said, you know, what are the top things going on that we need to address. And we've got a very robust strategic plans available online, but I like to simplify that and say the top three uh, things that we're focusing on are number one, payment reform, number two, payment reform, and number three, payment reform. We have an unsustainable model. Okay, That's why we had nearly 10,000 pharmacies closed in the decade up to, uh, or in five years, ending in 2015, and, and it's gotten worse since then. Uh, we'll talk about provider status a little bit, but the DIR fees are killing us. And I would say uh, PBM shenanigans and practices in general. It was our last podcast that sort of blew it out of the water because that resonated with so many people. But DIR fees, and this this bill does not completely end problems with DIR fees, but it's a good start. You know, we're health and human services so that they can't have that post adjudication claim come back because you're, you're a community pharmacist, you know, you adjudicate a claim, you're like, Oh, I got paid. Great. And then guess what? You know, you, weeks, months later, they claw that money back, you know? Uh, so this would require any of those, uh, uh, fees or whatever to come off the front. Now, does that completely solve the problem? No, but at least, uh, you know, Oh, wait a minute, I'm going to lose money on this prescription. And, and, uh, so it's incredibly helpful. It's not, Gonna, it's not world peace and world hunger. We're not solving that, but it is is a step in the right direction.
0: Well, as it's not it's not world hunger and world peace, but it's really addressing a lot of the issues that are impacting our populations. Right, diversity, equity, inclusion, and without pharmacists being there in the front lines to have access points, um, that is to be very, very significant. We, I know Scott mentioned the strategic plan, of practice transformations, making sure pharmacists are in parity with other providers that we can participate because right now we are not being included as eligible providers when we contribute to quality we contribute to all of the same metrics that a lot of other providers do and we're not even equal and being treated equal and that is not just you know so we we're dealing with those same issues but really it ends up blocking people from access points that they need so that they can have good outcomes. And so even as we move away from fee-for-service to value, pharmacists need to be there to contribute to that value and we need to be recognized for that.
2: Yeah. And Todd, you mentioned earlier how we're, you know, uh, in this, uh, to win it with partnerships. And I just want to give a, a shout out to Doug Huey over there at uh, NCPA. You know, they, uh, they really pushed, uh, Rutledge versus PCMA, which is our first real win against PBMs. You know, we, we signed on to that We uh, filed an amicus brief, uh, and, and we supportive. Doug's group really started that lawsuit and was all in it. And, uh, you know, Doug, Doug's a very good guy. Uh, his members are, are incredible credible. And uh, he had a call with me when he wanted to see if we wanted to join this lawsuit. He said, Scott, you know, you talk about DIR fees a lot. You know, you're to put your money where your mouth is and support this lawsuit. And I thought, well, you know, that was pretty straight up front, but he, he's right. So we went back, uh, the board of trustees uh, at APHA, this is not cheap. We want to talk about the money, but we're making a huge investment. Okay. We're not just talking. My board is taking action. They're, they're pushing this hard. And, and, you know, again, it's multifaceted. And when I said, um, we're not solving world peace, world hunger, I, I didn't mean that, that I, this one bill is not going to change PBM shenanigans, right? I mean, they're, they're smart. They're always a step ahead of us. It's, it's huge, as, as Sandra said. Uh, but we are fighting on every front. You know, this is just one more phase of how we're taking on, uh, the, the PBMs, to take our profession back.
1: I like the fact that you are working with multiple national organizations who are powerhouses. The NCPA, the champion of that community pharmacist, uh, 21,000 plus pharmacy owners out there. The ASHP you've recently uh, been working with um, for pharmacy associations that have applauded that introduction of the bill, expanding Medicare patient access which kind of ties back to what uh, Sandra was talking about of the underserved. I think of the pharmacy deserts that are out there that have been researched by organizations and and Ernst & Young was actually on our show. Uh, Dr. Aluko, who's their chief medical officer, pointed that out. He said, there are black neighborhoods throughout the country that don't have a pharmacy for miles. And that's not the same in predominantly white uh, neighborhoods. And that's a big deal. And that means that what, what people don't seem to understand when we talk about health equity, not health equality, but equity, and I think there's a difference in those two, is the fact that it's pulling down the entire economy, and it would be in the best interest of those who were just capitalists to jump into health equity for everyone. Because if if you have a strong, prosperous nation What's going to happen? Well, the GDP and our profits and our private companies and our um, you know, organizations are, are going to grow because there's people out there ready to work um, who are healthy, who are getting the, the, the services that they need. And I applaud you, uh, Sandra, for leading with that because that's the servant leader heart of a pharmacist overall. Um, coming back to you, Sandra, what do you suggest listeners do? as pharmacists out there, some of them very frustrated pharmacist owners, some of them were working for hospital system pharmacies that uh, feel, you know, they don't feel at the pressure as much as the community pharmacies do, but they know that they're limited to incident to billing and other things that are happening that they don't have per se direct uh, abilities to, to help their patients from a provider status change per se. But what are some of your suggestions for pharmacists listening right now?
0: Absolutely, to become involved. I, I think that's one of the key things that has always been good for me is I've been, you know, sometimes in the weeds trying to figure it out day to day and frustrated, but like lifting my head and looking around and saying, who can I partner with? Who can I collaborate with? Who could I network with to actually expand the opportunities that I have? So joining professional organizations, my state one absolutely, because the practice issues impacting me or at my state level, getting more involved in different levels within the organizations that I've been participating in, not just in the pharmacy department, because we know health is really all about so many aspects of the patient, right? It is about public health. It's about also reaching out into communities and, and figuring out ways to collaborate with the public health departments, with schools, with so many uh, partners that you don't think about. But there's so many roles pharmacists can play. And sometimes we just think about the the natural roles, the things that we fall back into, because that's what we see versus what you can create. And I feel like pharmacists can create these new opportunities, these new reaches that that they might have not thought were out there. And that's been my experience. I also always say, don't just talk to other pharmacists, right? Really work with other groups to teach them what pharmacists can do. And in my career, some of the best things that I've done that have exposed others to pharmacy is join other groups. So I joined the Association of Clinicians for the Underserved and the National Center for Farmworker Health. Both, I was their first pharmacist on both of those boards and the first national president for both of those groups. Um, and I really, I, I feel like I taught them a lot about what pharmacists can do. And that really amplified the message of, of, of our impact so that's one thing you can do. Get involved with groups that you might think, well, why would they want a pharmacist? They absolutely need a pharmacist. They need pharmacists at the table because there's everybody I know takes at least one medication, many medications, you know, access to over the counters. You're looking at recreational uh medication now that's out there that, that's really impacting people. So that's one of the things that you can do immediately and you don't need to do uh, a lot of work with that, just find things that you like, right? Like find groups that you're really passionate about and then start with that. And I think that'll just start giving you that that uh, venue that you need to really feel some of that satisfaction and some of that um, training that you've been involved with, but but really amplifying what you're doing and showing others what you can do. And I think that starts, that's that's what I think advocacy is. It's, it's really getting out there. You know, talking to your policymakers, talking to your uh, to your family and friends, because they're the ones that are going to ultimately sign letters for you. They're the ones that are going to vote, uh, and you need representation.
2: Yeah, they taught a couple things on that. You know, uh, first of all, Sandra, I think your story is you know amazing. One of the ways that you rose to prominence was kind of an unusual route. You want to talk about your Change.org petition and how you became. Uh, superstar that propelled you to apha president and uh you know this huge platform to, to to work on things you're so passionate about
0: yeah absolutely so the the change.org petition was funny I was literally just sitting at home watching um a show about this lady who was getting bank fees from I think it was one of the banks was charging her to take out her own money at an ATM so she was upset so she wrote uh you know up a petition and her petition on change.org really change that. They actually rescinded that policy so she wasn't getting charged. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to put a petition together to recognize pharmacists as providers. And so that was that was what what um, gave me the idea. And, and sure enough, uh, the petition garnered over 20,000 signatures. It, it was pretty quick and it was impressive. I think it did one, two things. It it really, like for the average person um, that didn't realize we were not considered, you know, on the list of eligible providers, it exposed them to the fact that, oh, wow, well, this is an issue that I didn't even know really existed because we know it's a problem. Pharmacists feel it every single day, but everybody else, consumers that use pharmacists, they just assume we are providers because we provide health care. Um, so anyways, that petition ended up uh, becoming popular. Um, we ended up starting another one, a White House petition, whitehouse.gov, where you had to uh, obtained 10,000 signatures or more. And so we were able to actually obtain more than that. And I was invited to the White House to come and share the signatures, talk about the petition, um, and then just you know really push for that. Unfortunately, we did not pass the bill at that time, but here we are, You know, we just dropped another petition, uh, another legislation, again, with the House and Senate, and we definitely want the same kind of momentum. We want friends, we want family, we want neighbors, um, to to support pharmacists and to contact their congressmen so that that we get the votes and the support that we need. We have to get this over the over the line, and hopefully with everybody's exposure to the pharmacists and what we've been during the pandemic, essential. Um, it's very key that we get this over the line this time around.
2: Yeah, Todd. Yeah, Todd, with that, you know, what, what can folks do? I think, uh, Sandra hit probably what we need the most right now is we want every legislator to sign on. So, you know, we got, we got members and states, you know, every, every state, and that is absolutely critical. The other thing that we really need to do this time is, is, uh, leverage our other interdisciplinary, uh, collaborators. You know, the AMA has not been a friend, of uh, pharmacy related being eligible providers for Medicare. You know, they, uh, I, I think inappropriately uh, call that scope creep. It's not scope creep. Okay. It's, it's the things we're legally able to do. So we need uh, physician champions, you know? So if your listeners almost, I, mean, I guess every pharmacist, right? Works, Closely in interdisciplinary care with physicians. So if you've got uh, physicians, physician groups, uh, influential physicians that we can get to, to be allies on this, that's incredibly important. You know, we got a bunch of pharmacy patriots out there, uh, you know, like yourselves, like Blake Sears, like Mike Colzer, Eric Geyer, you know, folks who have a very positive social media presence, you know, uh, now there's a few folks out there that aren't so positive on social media, but, you know, these guys are, these people, I mean, they're, they're, they're influential, right? Right. And, and, uh, you know, continuing to get the word out there. I want to back up to one more thing that you said about the partnership, you know, and all of the pharmacy organizations, almost all, and there are a couple that didn't sign on last time. They we're going to try to strong arm them into doing that. And, and, uh, but, uh, APHA and ASHP, uh, together, both our boards, you know, are, are saying the same thing. This important. Now is the time. Let's do that. So they got it done. It was kind of top secret, you know, they went around and, and got it done and, and boom, we, we had that out there. But I, I want to, you know, again, uh, yeah, I'm kind of the face of APHA. So is Sandra Michael was last year, but there's so many unsung heroes. Okay. So Elisa Bernstein, who's in charge of our government, uh, affairs is really the architect of the, that strategy. Uh, Alicia Carey, our, our lobbyist. You so only got one lobbyist AMA's got uh bunch of them. PBMs have, you know, thousands of them. Uh, and and I'd like to give a shout out to Tom Krause, uh, who's in charge of government affairs at ASHP. You know, he works so closely with, with Elisa on this. Uh, you know, our our boards are both aligned and, you know, that's just, uh, fantastic. You know, other folks who are incredibly supportive, you know, I have have a phone call every Monday with, uh, with the folks at NABP, AACP, ASCP, PQA, and, and NASPA. And, uh, we're strategizing on how to get this done. We have a broader group. All of the pharmacy association CEOs started getting together once a week on Thursdays because things were happening so fast with COVID. That group is cohesive. Uh, Chad Wars at an ASCP uh, superhero. Uh, he chairs that. You know, so I, I think pharmacy is aligned on this and we are going to work together to, to get it over the line.
1: Absolutely. And I want to make some reference to some mathematics so that listeners understand. So, we have the state of Ohio, who I'm going to use as an example, who in 2019 pushed out House Bill 177 that improves healthcare access for underserved areas. And they wanted to bring Ohio law in line with 22 other states that are concentrated. In the same way, in in even in even involving the the VAs of those states, what's interesting is if you go back to now, you fast forward to 2021, and we have 244 million dollars in one year in Ohio Medicaid that was sucked up by the PBMs. And what could you do, Scott, with 244 million dollars to back mm-hmm. into the other plan that involved House Bill 1744? So what I want any of the politicians that are listening is this is interconnected. These are your constituents tax dollars that are being impacted with what we're saying. And to to put a cherry on top of this, if you have a pharmacist involved with medication therapy management, cost will actually go down because you'll get out of the way of the adverse reactions that take place that kill 6,000, 8,000 people per year That if a pharmacist was in tune, intact, and connected better than they are and empowered and paid to be interconnected with medications, seeing your patient 10 10 times to one time that the primary care is, this is a interconnected issue. These aren't separate issues. People want to make this bill separate from this bill over here and this bill separate from this bill over here. Scott, talk to me about the state of Ohio, one of 50 of our states, very specifically, because you are still, I believe, a resident of, of the great state of Ohio.
2: Yeah, you know, in, in my previous career, uh, I was chief pharmacy officer at Cleveland Clinic uh, for nine years before I, I joined well, I joined APHA as a member before I joined as as the CEO. And, you know, I think we talked a lot about this in uh, the podcast heard around the world last year, Todd, Uh, but that, you know, so I came here with a a little bit different focus. Uh, APHA had primarily been focused on national issues. They always supported the states and our our Becky Sneed at NASPA is a fantastic partner and we support Becky. Uh, But seeing, being in Ohio, helping Antonio Cha-Cha uh, pass that law and uh, and uh, great collaborative practice law, uh, I, I saw what states can do, right? So we're really attacking the, the provider status uh, on three levels. That's the federal level, which we've talked about, and we'll talk more about it, but it's also on the state law. So Ohio, they passed a Medicaid provider status uh, law, right? And I was holding it up in front of cameras, but we're just on audio, but I got my uh, September 28th 2020 issue of modern healthcare here where, you know, a uh, pharmacist moved to the center of a care revolution. That's modern healthcare. Okay. That's not a pharmacy, right? You're like, Hey, we got to quit talking to ourselves. You know, every CEO in uh, healthcare, Reads this and it talks about the Ohio model where, um, you know, pharmacists are paid to do this. And guess what? Yeah, just like you said, you know, it, it, it makes sense, right? If you're managing hypertension, you, you know, you have less strokes. You know, if you're managing diabetes, you have less. Uh, foot amputations. I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, goes with, it's just so obvious. And, you know, the one thing uh, I'd like to say is that the law, and I'm going to let Sandra talk here in a little bit, the, the bill that we put out there, you know, it is, it is the same bill as we tried a few years ago, right? And, and some folks are like, Scott, you know, Einstein's definition of sandy is keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. What's changed? Well, what's changed, Todd? The world has changed, right? We had a pandemic. Pharmacists are literally saving the world through immunizations, right? People see it. Biden just uh, mentioned, you know, he he wants to have 70% of people vaccinated by whatever it was, July. And, uh, you know, but he mentioned pharmacists as access points, uh, pharmacists have always, uh, been, you know, out there on the front lines. I don't know that society appreciated as much, but you know, we, we, you know, are literally saving the world now clearly physicians and nurses have a big spot in that but as far as getting vaccinations vaccines in arms the pharmacy is doing it right um what else has changed well you know we talk about the costs and not being able to uh do the offsets count the offsets like you said the, the cost savings and it was, I think, $9 billion over five years. That sounded like a lot of money three years ago. We are throwing trillions of dollars at things that make no sense. You know, A lot of it's good, but I mean, there's pork in there. There is no better investment for public health infrastructure than having pharmacists. And you talk about pharmacy deserts, right? If pharmacists can bill Medicare, That is a sustainable model. We will not have another 10,000 pharmacies close in five years. We will help those patients uh, in in underserved areas and and help uh, get rid of. the. It's not going to solve everything. It's going to be a long way towards solving those racial disparities. And this is for underserved areas, you know. Uh, So, you know, $9 billion budget dust. This isn't about the cost. Okay. This is about the quality and access.
1: 90%. Of our Americans are are you know living within that five mile radius of a pharmacy, and that's on the average. But there are those pockets um, that we've just mentioned uh, of our of our communities that don't have access to healthcare facilities. And with the praise that President Biden did give to to pharmacists, that you commented on an article uh, called "Industry Applauds Biden's Expansion of Federal Pharmacy Partnership." Where the administration is more than doubling the number of pharmacies in the federal retail pharmacy program from 17,000 to nearly 40,000. That's amazing. But with that, it should bring light to these issues. That if we can a get provider status to allow pharmacists to be paid for what they were trained to do uh, through their four to six years of school, and b uh, come out with reform that we can save money in these healthcare uh, systems, as well as the healthcare um, reimbursement programs in Medicaid and uh, Medicare Part D and Medicare Part B uh, with some of the durable durable medical equipment being prescribed and digital therapeutics being prescribed and managed uh, by pharmacy and pharmacist teams. It makes absolute sense, Um, which brings me back to being the voice. And that is continuing to reach out to your your public officials, your politicians, letting them know who you are. Don't forget community pharmacies to invite your local politician in to see your operations. Um, Every time they're in term, if there's a new uh, state rep that's there, get them involved to come see your medication packaging, your medication adherence programs, your medication sync programs, what these programs do to simplify services for your patients. Being the voice is also about being the voice, not only the voice for our industry. It's more importantly than being the voice for our industry. It's being the po- voice for your patient and speaking up for your patient. And when 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 we see things happening, uh, in the form of racism, in the form of child abuse, in the form of someone having uh, difficulties uh, in in mental health, in It's the voice that you are, if you're seeing your, if you're seeing those people 10 times more than their primary care is, then you have to be the patient's voice. And Sandra, I'm so proud of you for, um, for that campaign. And I know that comes from your heart. So I want in wrapping up, I want you to give our pharmacy listeners, um, you know, just a a closing statement of, of hope and also a way to reach out to you on social media.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean Scott made good points. The world has changed. I've always said just because it's a no today doesn't mean it's a no tomorrow. So be persistent. Um, you know, advocate for the right things. I think all of us went to pharmacy school because we wanted to do something good, right? We wanted to help people. We were, we had some something that was driving us to do that. And we have this incredible training. We have to be able to use it to. The max capacity, and I think one of those things is is advocating, you know, being able to reach people. And I am absolutely a, a fan of social media because it serves a platform to educate, connect, to really to share information. So um, there's a couple of, of of handles that I started for uh, my presidency year. It's at be the voice RX, and I have that in uh, Twitter in. Facebook and an Instagram. And then my own personal hashtag and handle is SLEALRX. And that's what I use for everything else, including LinkedIn. So I love sharing a lot of uh, information, definitely sharing what pharmacists can do, because again, I like to make sure that others not in our profession realize the value that we bring and how much we contribute to good uh, patient care. And absolutely, one thing I just want to make make sure is to really, you know, there's not enough representation out there. Um, I am very happy to be a Hispanic woman who grew up in the border, who went to pharmacy school because I could speak Spanish and represent uh, my population. And so that's really important to me to really represent a, a diverse uh, group of of providers that really reach out to the people that need help. So very important areas.
2: Todd, Todd, just uh, one quick thing. You know, and it's really repeating things, but it's sort of packaging it. You know, so if your our listeners are, are, you know, looking for talking points, you know, this is so true. There is no better return on investment for money the government can spend for public health than empowering pharmacists to care for patients and in underserved areas, but but also globally. So that that catchphrase, you know, we should start every conversation with pharmacies are public health infrastructure we've seen that in the pandemic and if we continue to have a model where pharmacies can't exist pharmacy deserts are going to expand when the next pandemic comes we're going to be in a world of hurt
1: absolutely well, we will have in the show notes how to connect with be the voice, which is at be the Voice Rx and also uh, Sandra Leo, um, you will be also your your personal handles will be in there. Um, Scott, I can't tell you how many times I at pharmacists uh, on Twitter. Uh, I think I at pharmacists on Twitter. Um, probably more than uh, the APHA does, but um, that that's obviously the handle for the APHA, which is a very easy handle to remember. Um, And uh, I just want to thank you both for for sharing today, but I also want to let the listeners know we're going to be doing more around the theme of Be The Voice. If you think that you have a story, and I know you do, of a special opportunity that you serve your public and your patients, or your uh, physician as a collaborator, or your nurse practitioner as a partner in healthcare, we want to hear about this. I don't care what the story implies because being the voice is about all of us, and I believe in that camaraderie as an industry and the way that we serve our healthcare um, communities as pharmacists, as pharmacy professionals, as our pharmacy technicians, the the right hand of our pharmacists. Um, I want to give you a applause as well. But um, Sandra and Scott, you know it's an honor to have you on here today. Please don't be strangers. Know that you can use this platform. If you would like to subscribe, please go to Apple Podcasts, to Google, to Amazon. We have a podcast out there that we amplify called Locked on Pharmacy, which is the APHA's uh, podcast, which will also be embedded in our show notes. So if you're jogging, if you're driving, you're doing something that you uh, can't use your hands, don't worry. It's going to be in the show notes. Scott, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, Todd, and just one real quick, thank you for what you do. You know, again, Sandra and I are uh, the face of APHA, but it's the members, it's the engaged members, boots on the ground, people in their communities, people like you spreading the word. So I can't say enough about how much I appreciate you and the fantastic work that Pharmacy Podcast Network is doing, not for pharmacy, but for our patients and for public health. Thank you, my friend.
1: Thank you. And Sandra, thank you so much for being here. It's such an honor to to have you on the show and, and we want to have you back to continue to push what it means to being the voice.
0: Thank you, Todd. I thought I was the biggest fan of pharmacy, but you're pretty, <laughs> no. you're pretty big too, so thank you for everything you do.
1: You're very welcome and I thank you both. You were listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. We want to give a shout out to other podcasters who have uh, done some amazing interviews, Dr. Richard Waithe, Dr. Michael Carvino. Um, Dr. Um, Geyer, Eric Geyer, you guys are champions too. Um, We'd love to collaborate with you. Help us push this messaging out um, because like I said, nothing can stop us if we do this together. And um, I thank you so much for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.